Heavenly Father, now we pause in order to commemorate Your great grace through giving. We don't do this from compassion, but we do it from a sense of love and gratitude. We recognize that we have nothing to give apart from Your grace and all the blessings, the great manifold blessings that You give us every single day. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's take a few moments to prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word this morning. Most of you know our standard, standard operating procedure, which is to uh, have that few moments to focus, concentrate, do a little uh, self-analysis to make sure that there is no uh, sins lurking about so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that You are a God of grace and mercy, but You are also a just God. And it is a fearful thing to fall into Your hands when we are defiant and disobedient. We pray that You will help us to open our hearts to Your message this morning. That we will allow Your Word to go deep into our soul, to become long-term memory, for us to apply so that we can be faithful servants to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, verse 24. Joshua chapter 7, verse 24. There's yet a few loose ends to tie up before we move on to chapter 8. I can't even give you any guarantees that we'll get to chapter 8. But then, you already knew that, didn't you? First, we'll read verse 24. Well, let me give you a little background first. You realize that in chapter 6, the Israelites had great victory. Chapter 7, everything started going downhill. There's a principle for us there that just because you have a victory in whatever endeavor you may uh, be involved in in life, especially with regards to your spiritual life, is no guarantee that that's going to carry you for any length of time. Sometimes we are most vulnerable after we have a victory because we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We start thinking, I've got, I've got a handle on this. I've got this covered. And that's simply is never the case apart from God's grace and direction. So Joshua did not wait on instructions from God to move on Ai, nor did the people think that they needed to send their entire force. They just sent a few. They became arrogant thinking that this is no big deal. Well, it came, became a big deal because the soldiers of Ai routed the Israelites 
They had to run with their tail between their legs. They only sent uh, 3,000. There were 12,000 in the city. And 36 were killed. But they had a much bigger problem than that. All this was symptomatic of what was going on after God's grace and victory over Jericho. And that is, they had a somewhat nonchalant, disrespectful attitude towards God. And this really was highlighted in a man by the name of Achan. There was a ban on the city of Jericho. God said, do not take anything, no spoils. All the gold and silver were to be put in the temple. All the people, all the animals, anything that breathed was to be killed because this was the first fruits. This was the first city. Everything was dedicated to God. God gave them the victory. But Achan decided to disobey God and he took, he took some, oh, some kind of nice coat maybe from Babylon. They had the latest fashions of the day. He got gold, he got silver, and he hid them in his tent. He buried them. And so God did not deliver them when they went to Ai. And then we have this pathetic prayer by Joshua. Joshua, of all people, who had a sterling reputation up to this time. And he sounded like the Israelites who ran into trouble when they were out on the desert because God was trying to teach them His faithfulness and His provision. And they said, oh, that we would have died in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to, to have us starve to death, to die of thirst? He sounded much like that. And God said, get up. What are you doing? And then He starts to give him instructions as to why they were near... They were defeated in Ai. And then God is going to deal with this person who defied Him. All this is background for where we're going to start today. Because as we read verses 24 and 25 of Joshua 7, some may think this is awfully harsh. Dare we even question the justice and righteousness of God? That's what we're going to deal with today. Let's go to verse 24. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle of bar of gold, the mantle and the bar of gold, and his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to them, and they were brought up to the valley of Achor. Now, underline Achor. The word Achor means in the Hebrew, trouble. And by the way, do you know what the, word, what the name Achan means? Trouble. You can see how similar they are even in the English. And Joshua said, Why have you, Achan, trouble, troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. Now this is the, this is the point. 
You cross God. You ignore God. You sin and defy Him and think you can get by with it. This is double, triple, quadruple trouble here. Then we have, And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They, did not, they didn't burn them to death. They were stoned to death. That was the mode of capital punishment in Israel at the time. After they had been stoned, the bloody pulp that was left was then burned. Now, this is a very strong message that was sent. And we have to deal with this. But the first place we're going to deal with it is in the previous chapter. Actually, and we're going to go to uh, chapter 6 and verse 18. I want you to circle this. Somehow we want to keep this connected to what we find in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 7. These go together lest we think that God is a little too harsh. Verse 18. But as for you, <clears throat> this is the instructions given to Joshua that he's giving to the people. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, lest you covet them and take some of the things under the ban. The ban was, of course, they weren't to take anything. It's called kerem. It's dedicated to the Lord. And it's a warning. Don't do this. And then it says, so you would make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. So it's not as if they didn't know that when they broke the ban, if anyone broke the ban, not only were they going to bring hell down upon themselves, but the entire camp was going to pay for it. You see that there? So God isn't doing anything that He had not already warned them that He was going to do. That's an integral part of what we need to learn this morning. Now, Achan transgressed against God, against His covenant. God is a covenant-making God, and there is no other God that is a covenant-making God. You don't find that anywhere. Because there is only one true God. And He makes covenants. He makes promises. He makes agreements with His people. And He takes those very seriously. And Achan did not take it seriously. And he and the entire congregation paid because of it. Now, faithful God must be true to both His blessing and His cursings in a covenant. We'll, we'll see as we go. We're going to look at a, a few of the covenants today briefly. And we'll find that in the covenants, they always have a blessing part and they have a cursing part. Over and over, God will say, if you will do so-and-so, then this is what I'm going to do for you. But if you don't do so-and-so, then this is what I'm going to do to you. These are His covenants. Now, there are things called unconditional covenants that were made to Israel. That's a different type of covenant. 
And that's the kind of covenant that doesn't depend on mankind at all. God has bound Himself by His Word and by His promises to bring certain things to pass. We're not talking about those kind of covenants today. We're talking about the binding covenants that were applicable to Israel. God doesn't fulfill the cursing part of His covenants, then why should we believe the blessing part? It's twofold. Covenants are twofold. Blessing and cursing. People focus on the blessing part. And that's good. We should. God has given us tremendous promises and we, we should focus on the blessings because it's a great encouragement to us because God is, is, has got perfect veracity. Cannot lie. However, we do not want to ignore the cursing side, or we would say the discipline side of it. If he's just, if he's righteous, if he's faithful in carrying out his covenants and, and his promises, then we have to accept it both ways, both for blessing and cursing. It's not the lack of grace or cruelty at all that is the issue here. Make sure you get this down if you have to write it in your Bible or in your notes. This is about God's faithfulness. Some people read this and they're getting all bent out of shape. Well, God's a monster. No, God is faithful. If He isn't faithful in carrying out discipline when His warnings are ignored then how can we trust Him to bless us when we are obedient and we heed His warnings? If He's not faithful in one, can we expect Him to be faithful in the other? The way God is, of course, is He is faithful in all of it. How can we believe His promises if He doesn't follow through in what He says and what He says He will do if we disobey Him? If He... If, if he doesn't follow through on what he says, how can we trust him? I have some practical applications for this. When parents, husbands, pastors, employees, coaches, teachers, judges, anyone in authority, when they do not carry through what they say, then they lose credibility. Here's an example with regards to society of that fact. The rules for society should be few and clearly defined. Few and clearly defined. Certainly God defines His rules. Wouldn't it be nice if we had these rules, these laws to abide by in society. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And when you make an agreement with someone, fulfill your part. That's it. How would you like to live under that? huh? We, ha we have so many laws and codes and rules and restrictions. We're, we're choking on them. In fact, 
Tens of thousands of new regulations are placed on us every year. Now, we don't even know what they are, but we're responsible for them. Remember not long ago I mentioned to you the Federal Register? Do you, did that, does that register with you? Remember that? I think it was, was it last year or the year before they had something like 70,000 pages of regulations and rules and codes and statutes and ugh, it just goes on and on. I think we have too many laws. We need fewer laws and we need more accountability, don't we? Fewer laws and be accountable for whatever laws there are. We have federal laws. We have state laws. We have county laws. We have city laws. If you live in a subdivision, you even have rules. Uh, what do they call them? Um, re, yeah, deed restrictions and uh, what you can and can't do. That's just the tip of the iceberg, all these things that we are supposedly required to do. Now, I understand we need to have parameters. But what's happened is, the same thing happened in, in, in Israel. This is what's happened. What happened? God gave them the Mosaic Law. And it was to demonstrate to them how they were to live spiritually, how they were to live with the health, all the health rules and regulations and so forth, and as in, in society how they were to uh, get along. That's essentially what it was. But what happened? You had the Pharisees come along and they added tons of rules and restrictions and had the force of law. And people just, it, you would hate to have lived in that society. When the Sabbath came around, oh, that was supposed to be a day to relax, think about God and His provision and so forth. But their mind was no longer on that. What their mind was, what their mind was on, is that, now I've got to make sure that I fed all the animals on Friday because when Saturday rolls around, I can't feed the animals because the Pharisee says that's work. If, if you, you would have to take your bedding off of the top bunk and put it down on the floor because if you climbed up to get into your top bunk, that was considered work. And of course, on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to work. Uh, you could, some people would literally count their steps on the Sabbath so that they wouldn't take too many steps and it be considered that they were going to work. They would even, <laughs> tradition says, that if you were at a meal and you had, let's say you had uh, something that would, you would dip in salt, if you dipped it in salt, you could only hold it for so long because if you held it there a little too long, that would be considered pre preserving it and that would be work and that would be against the Mosaic Law. How would you like to live in that society, huh? You ever feel like you're living in that kind of society today? You're in H-E-B and you want to go across to Walgreens. To the, you just cross the street. You get in your car. You better buckle up. You cross that street and you don't have it. Oh, somebody's there and you could get a ticket. Let me tell you. I get nauseated every time I see flick it or ticket. 
that offends me. What does that have to do with freedom? Well, I'm, I'll get back. I got I got to discipline myself here. And so you know what happens when you have a whole lot of laws. You have a lot of lawyers. By the way, do you know that the United States has more lawyers than the rest of the world put together? Did you know that? Hmm? They got to do something. They stay busy. I have to, this is a personal opinion. I think lawyers deserve, richly deserve the reputation that they have with a few notable examples. And we have one sitting right here on the front row. And I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that just to avoid any persecution. It's true. So, rules should be few and clearly defined because that's what God does. He gives us the rules. They're clearly defined. How about parents? Here's another example, an application. How about as a parent, instead of having a whole lot of rules, you just have essentially one rule. This is the rule to their children. Do what I say and do it when I say it. That's your rule. Wouldn't that simplify? You think kids could understand that? Do what I say. Do what I say or there will be immediate punishment. There you have it. You think that's too simple? Just think how that would change so much of so many people's life if that was done and followed through with. Now, that was just the rules part. Now we look at the punishment part. Remember, in a covenant, there, are, there is the blessings part, but if you don't follow through, there's also the cursing or the punishment part. We'll look at society uh, uh, first. The order of the day, when someone uh, goes to court today for some crime, what happens? Plea bargain. Most I don't know what the percentage is, but I know the great majority of cases really never even get to court. And even when they go to court, there's usually plea bargaining. And I don't see as that being a deterrent. I don't see that as paralleling what God has done. God told the Israelites, you go in there and you, you defy me and you take something from that city. And there's going to be trouble for you and the entire company. They knew it going in, and God follows through. Hello. It seems no one is held accountable anymore. Our society is crumbling because there is little accountability for those who are lazy, disrespectful, unethical, immoral, or criminal. Isn't that true? Doesn't make you just nauseous when you see these criminals defy society, defy God, defy the law because they know that they're not going to be held accountable. If you murder someone and you are convicted of it, 
Average sentence, seven years. Even if it's, even a lot of times they'll give you life and maybe you'll serve 20 and still get out. That seems to be uh, the case. Outside Texas, the death, death penalty has all but disappeared. And even in Texas, if you are found guilty of murder and sentenced to the death penalty, it's usually decades before it's carried out. You know, it wasn't that way in Israel under the Mosaic Law. When you committed a crime, they would hold court. And once the verdict was made, punishment was made, guess how long it took them? Immediately. Let's say that you stole something from somebody and it was proven that you stole it. The judge would say, okay, pay it back. Only don't pay back what you stole. You pay it back double. But judge, I don't have the money I spent. Okay, good. You're an indentured slave. You're a slave to this person until you work it off. Now, get after it. How would you like to be under that, huh? Don't you think that would be a deterrent? Do you know that Israel didn't have any prisons? No prisons in in Israel. If you raped someone, you murdered someone, they found you guilty, then you were executed. When? As soon as you were found guilty. Now that is a true deterrent. There's one thing about the death penalty, even if it's this sissified shot they give now, one thing for certain, that person is never going to commit another crime. Isn't that true? Uh, that's for absolute certain that that's the case. Uh, today, we really don't have a deterrent with regard to capital punishment. People murder and rape. You know, in the big cities like Houston, that there's a, a murder a day, at least one murder a day. Some some cities, as many as two murders a day. Rapes. Probably in the, the, the dozens every day. Those are the ones that are reported. No telling how many there is that are unreported. And people wonder, why do we have so much violence? Well, because people aren't taken out and executed when they're found guilty of such crimes. What we have today is no deterrent. And we've become so sanitized so sophisticated that the gas chamber and hanging and electrocution, all those are barbaric. Now we give them a needle so as not to shock anyone. Well, I'll tell you what, we need shocking. We're asleep at the wheel. And the way to get a criminal's attention is to employ the death penalty and do it right away. That's what we're talking about is something that is uh, swift. Now that's with regards, we're, we're looking at the punishment phase for society. What about parents? Do you parents have your steel-toed shoes on? Steel-toed boots? You know, parents should really never raise their voice to their children 
You give them a command one time, make it clear, and if it's disobeyed, then the punishment phase immediately kicks into gear. That's the mode. Is that hard? Is that hard to understand? Isn't that simple? And yet, how many parents do that today? The child disobeys or ignores what the parent tells them to do. Only a lot of times, the parents don't even tell anymore. They ask. And I'm here to tell you, if you ask your children to do things, you are not helping them. You're hurting them. Well, I'm trying to teach them to be polite and say please. No, what you're doing is not teaching them the difference between a command and a request. Children need to be authority-oriented. They need to learn to respect authority. And that means when you're a parent and you give a command, it is to be respected you are to carry it out. If you say, now Johnny, will you go clear, clean your room? You're asked, would, would you do it? He has a choice. Um, no, I don't think so. What are you going to do with that? They need to learn to take orders. Because all of us are going to take orders for the rest of our life. You might as well... Clue them in early, get them used to it, so when they move into adulthood, it will be a smooth transition. What happens is, parents are asking their children what to do. They don't do it, and there's no consequences. They leave the nest, they get out into the world, and then they're hit by a Mack truck. The reality that the world doesn't consider them as their little darling, and they don't care whether they are going to be fed and clothed. They don't have sensitivity towards the darling's feelings. Isn't that true? Unfortunately, when a command is given and it's not followed through, Nothing happens. Well, I say nothing. That would be except the pleadings and the making deals and the enticements to try to get the child to do what he was told to do. What should you do? Go back to that. What was the rule I said that I think is the best rule for parents? You explain to the children... When I tell you to do something, you do it right away, immediately, or there will be punishment. Is that, can a four-year-old understand that? I think so. I think maybe even a two-year-old can understand that. And then you follow through. What's the, what's the key word? Consistency. Consistency, consistency. Do you think that children are smarter than dogs? Huh? I know sometimes they don't act like it. But I think most people agree that a child is smarter than a dog. And I've seen a lot of homes where the dogs obey better than the children do. If you can train a dog, you can certainly train children. And you can employ the same methods. Why are y'all giggling? It's true. 
What do you do to teach a dog? I had a dog. My favorite dog was named Mookie. She was an old English sheepdog. And I was going to give her a bath. I put her in a tub. She didn't want in the tub. She tried to get out. She would get out, I'd put her in. She'd get out, I'd get in. And every time I, every time I put her in, I'd say, stay. She'd start to get out, I'd put her, stay. She'd start to get out, stay. I did that about eight times. And then I would, I'd start to walk away, and this time she stayed. I walked in the house, I looked out the kitchen window. There she sat in that tub. <laughs> now if a dog can't do that, why can't a child do it? Huh? What's wrong with people these days? Well, I better move on. God certainly doesn't engage in that kind of nonsense. Deal-making and pleading and all that kind of garbage. He proved it with Achan. He was making a point to the entire nation using Achan as an example. Here's the point. You don't ignore God and you don't trifle with God. God means business. The sooner you find that out, the better. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, in my Bible... The pericope says, promises of blessings. Now, a pericope is just a heading at the beginning of a certain section in your text. Uh, could be the beginning of a chapter or when the subject matter changes or whatever. That's what's called a pericope. Mine says, promises for blessings. Are you all at Deuteronomy 28? Verse 1. Now, it shall be if you will diligently obey your Lord God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Now look, I want you to do this. Look at the next verse, verse 3. I want you to underline blessed. Every, look at this. Verse 3, blessed you shall be. Verse 4, blessed you shall be. Verse 5, blessed you shall be. Verse 6, blessed you shall be. And then it goes on describing all the different blessings that are going to take place if you obey diligently obey. Let me, let me explain something about diligently here. Diligently obey means that when God speaks, you're at attention. Just say it. You're right there. You're ready to hear it. I'm just, whatever. You let me know. I'm here. Yeah. That's the way you are. Today, when, when I've watched children and when their parents speak, so many times they don't even acknowledge that they're spoken to. And the parent will go to the child to try to get his attention. It should be that when a parent speaks, if you have a, a three-year-old, and let's, I, I'm just, Johnny comes to my mind. Let's say his name is Johnny. And, and the mother says, Johnny, the first response from Johnny should be, yes, ma'am. 
that, that's really powerful because, first of all, you've got his attention. You have to train him to do that. You train him. Johnny, every time I say your word, I mean, say your name, you say, yes, ma'am. You got that, Johnny? Then what are you waiting for? Yes, ma'am. If he doesn't say it, now, this is the time you say, yes, ma'am. Okay? Now, Johnny? Yes, ma'am. Johnny, and you do that just like I had Mookie sitting in that tub about 15 times. Sit, 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 sit. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, all these times. And then it gets to be a habit. And when you say, Johnny, yes, ma'am, he's already said yes to whatever you're going to say. Hasn't he? Yes, ma'am. I'm here. I'm ready for orders. You see, that's the way you train. That's diligently obeying. Instead of just lazy, sluggard, just you don't have to put up with that. Johnny, when I call you, I want you to come here to me. I want you to stand there. I want you to look me in the, in the eyes. I want you to listen to what I say. Because if you do not, you're not going to like what comes next. Y'all look at me like you don't think that's possible. That's because we're so... We are so covered with laxity and shabbiness, laziness. And this church is much better than most churches. Most of the kids here are homeschooled. Homeschooled kids are usually trained better in manners and such things. But the kids in this church aren't perfect. Are they parents? Oh, okay. Well, you got blessing under all those. Okay, now look at verse 15. Now there's a pericope there in my Bible that says promises of curses. Do any of y'all have any pericopes in your Bible? I know in mine it says now we have promises of curses. See, promises and covenants are a two-edged sword. With God, when they're conditional. Look at all these things I'm going to do for you if you will obey. If you do not, then this is what you can expect. He's faithful in both sides. Verse 15, But it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments. You see that every time? All His commandments. And his statutes with which I charge you today that these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And look what we have. Verse 16, what does it say? Cursed shall you be. 17, cursed shall you be. 18, cursed shall you be. 19, cursed shall you be. And then it goes in and describing the curses. All the different kind of curses you have here. Look at verse 47. Verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things... See, this is the way we should serve. Not drudgery. 
serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Verse 48, Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in lack of all things, and He will put an iron yoke on your neck until He has destroyed you. Do you think God means business? You know, we have fallen so far with regards to respecting authority and we no longer see righteous retribution that when we see it in the Bible, we're shocked. And it shouldn't be that way. Those in authority today may allow themselves to be pushed around and disrespected, but I can assure you, God does not. He is not going to be disrespected. He is not going to be ignored. That's the message today. This is what we're finding from this. And I've got one PowerPoint, two things, two, two things on PowerPoint that I'm going to show you that I, 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 have, I would normally just have this in my notes, but this is so important I thought I'd put it up on the board. If the one in charge does not hold those under his authority accountable, he will lose their respect. It's just as sure as gravity. And it doesn't matter who you are as an authority or who your subordinates are. This is an axiom that is always true. We have too many parents today trying to be pals with their kids instead of parents demanding respect. We have too many husbands today that are actually afraid of their wives and they will do anything to keep the peace. No one is held accountable anymore. Respect is more important than love because without respect, there can be no love. I would rather be respected any day than loved. Because you take that respect factor away, there is no love. I have the highest respect for my parents because they demanded respect. And I ha that's one reason I love them so much is because they loved me enough to do the hard thing, to give me tough love when I needed it. My transition from after I got out of high school and got into college was a snap. No problem at all. Because I'd already been trained at home to be respectful to authority. And that's not being done these days. People are afraid that if they use their authority to hold someone accountable, if they assert their authority, then in today's climate, they would be considered a monster, an ogre. A dictator. Now, I'm not, you understand, I'm not saying that when you have authority, you are to push people around, abuse them. Of course, that's idiocy. 
There it is. The one in charge does not hold those. If he doesn't hold them in authority, his authority uh, accountable, he will lose their respect. Respect is more important than love because without respect there can be no love. And I'm showing you through the Bible, through God's own character and how he treated the Israelites and how he treated Achan, that he expects nothing less from us. I want you to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 48 again. I want you to notice something. People have two choices in this verse. They can obey God and receive blessings, or they can disobey God and receive cursing. That's the two choices that we have. Now, there's some people that think, oh, we are, but you know what? There's a third choice. And the third choice is that I can just sit on the sidelines and not get involved. Ha ha. Do you see that in this verse? Here's the, here's, here's the ultimatum God is giving us. You choose who's going to control your life. I can do it. You can submit to me and there's going to be blessing. If you don't submit to me, then you're going to be controlled by your enemies. Look at it. Verse 48 again. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger and thirst, nakedness and all this, and uh, uh, they will uh, be an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Who's going to rule you? God, or is God going to have some other distasteful ogre, ruler, organization, committee, company, whatever it may be, rule you? Here's the point. You don't have the choice of ruling yourself. You got that? Now, we have, that's not talking about volition. In Baraka Church... Colonel R.B. Theme used to put it in the, in, the, in the term of spheres. We're not independent. We are either going to be in what he called the divine dinosphere. This is God's sphere of power where there's blessing. We can choose to be there. Or we can choose to be over here in the cosmic system, the cosmic compound. And we can reside there. But we cannot reside or live outside of either one of those two spheres. You got that? This is what God is telling us. You can't say, I'm going to sit on the sidelines. I just don't want to participate. I don't want to be in either one. If you don't want to participate in God's game plan, you are automatically in Satan's program. Satan does not like you. He will use you. He will deceive you, he will laugh at you, and he will chew you up and spit you out. You have a choice. 
you are already deeply involved in the angelic conflict and you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. What do you want to be? Achan decided to be part of the problem. And he didn't get a pass. God didn't say, oh, well, it's just one person. It, it's not, he didn't take that much. He just took a little there. God is absolutely holy and righteous. And he doesn't care who you are. Now, he loves you beyond measure. But you think he's going to compromise anything in his game plan just so you won't be held accountable? You know what? Atheists and all unbelievers have this one thing in common. They come up with all these bizarre stories as why the Bible is untrue, why you can't trust it, and all the rest. And they all, the main force behind it is they don't want to be held accountable by God. Because if they acknowledge that there is a God, if they acknowledge that the Word of God is God's revelation to man and you better abide by it or else, they don't want to be held accountable. So just like a child, they say, oh, well, there is no God. Ha ha, aren't I free? We're in the clutch, they're in the clutches of Satan and have no idea. So you can be, you can sign up for God's plan or you can sign up for Satan's plan. But you can't sign up for your own plan because God won't allow it. As far as he's concerned, those are your choices, two choices, his or Satan's. You can believe his promises or you can believe Satan's lies. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus 26. Here again, <clears throat> in Leviticus 26, we have God starting out, verse 3, look at that. If you will walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. And then he goes on and on and talks about all his blessings. I want you to circle verse 3. That's, the bless, that's where the blessing starts. God is making a covenant with him. He's telling him, if you do this, I'm going to bless you beyond imagination. But verse 14, what's the first word there? But. It's the same word that verse, uh, chapter 7 of Joshua started with. But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you, number one, reject my statutes, two, and your soul abhors my ordinances, and three, so as not to carry out all my commandments, so as to break my covenant, I, in turn, will do this to you. And then we start getting the five cycles of discipline. You may already have this in your Bible. God will discipline a nation in five cycles. If you want to jot in where they are, I'll give them to you quickly. In verse 16, you have the first cycle. So you can just put out to your margin, first cycle. Verse 
18, you have the second cycle. Verse 21, you have the third cycle. By the way, if you'll note, look at verse 18, for, for example. If also, if also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. When you get to verse 21, look at it. If then you act with hostility against me and are, and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I think the heat is being turned up here. Verse 23 is the fourth cycle. And verse 27 is the fifth cycle. Now, <clears throat> I'm out of time. I'm going to close and tell you this. Next time we're going to get into the family part. I know some people are still uh, uneasy about the fact that Achan's sons and daughters were executed along with him. They were stoned to death and their bodies were burned. I want to handle that next week. But I want before we go to the final close, let me tell you this. A lot of people deceive themselves today thinking, I'm not a bad person. You know, I, I, I don't even have a criminal record. I've never been arrested. And I go to church, and I'm nice to people. And they deceive them th themselves into thinking that they are obedient to the commands of God. But especially in our age, in the intensified stage of the angelic conflict, the church age, we must remember that there are a lot of commands that a person like that is not obeying. He's not putting God first, have no other gods before me. Many are not assembling themselves together to take in the Word. They're not meditating upon God's Word. They're not growing in grace and knowledge. And when that happens, God is not lax in getting your attention. He does not give commands and then ignore those that break those commands. You'd have to be nearly comatose to watch the news today and not see God's disciplining hand on this nation. He does that to us individually also. You may think, well, I know a person that really fell off the wagon. They, were, they used to get doctrine and now they don't. They're way off in the Thule's now. And you might think, but I don't see God's hand of retribution on them. I don't see the hand of discipline crushing them. In fact, they might be even into prosperity. You can think, how does this work? Sometimes God will give a recalcitrant believer prosperity in order to curse him. Because what they find is they have everything that should make them happy. Usually it's financial prosperity. They have everything that they want, and yet they are still miserable. And God is demonstrating to them, see? You can have all this, and you're still miserable. That is a form of discipline for people who are empty on the inside. 
they, they think, well, I'll just get something. I'll buy another boat. I'll get a bigger house. I'll get more clothes. I'll get a fancy car. Whatever it is, they think this is going to make them happy. And the cruel cruelty of it is, is that until they humble and turn to the Lord, they'll never be happy. I've given you quite a bit to chew on this morning. The bottom line is this. We can't ignore God and get by with it. Even believers, even believers who go to church, even believers who are growing in grace and knowledge have a tendency, like the Israelites, to get lazy, to get arrogant and fat-headed when things are going well and let things start to come into disarray in their spiritual life. I'd like everyone to please bow your heads now. You know, this message is really about the faithfulness of God in dealing out retribution where it's deserved. But we have a gracious God. There's another verse that you may call to mind that has faithful in it. And that's 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't require anything from us that His grace and mercy doesn't follow. But we must realize that if you're arrogant enough to think that you can avoid accountability and you want to live your life apart from God, if you want to depend upon your own works rather than Christ's work, the ultimate price is eternity in the lake of fire. Anyone can avoid that by recognizing that God has given us the gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. He died for your sins. He was buried and rose and now offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. We have a great and mighty God, full of compassion and mercy. But it is also a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you ignore Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for helping us to have this portion of it it feeds our souls, and hopefully we will have more respect for who and what you are. We pray this all in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.